kind of crazy. I would never be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for a knee surgery. So it is kind of crazy to think about what path life puts you on, right? We think we know where we're going to head to. Like, I thought for sure I'm going to be on Wall Street. I'm going to be a trader. I'm going to live in New York. I'm going to do all these things. <laughs> Absolutely. That is where I'm headed. Right out of high school, into college, I was going to do that. Absolutely. And then, nope, not exactly. Nope. Cool. Hey, Carlin, thanks so much for joining today. Yeah, sure. Sorry about... Um, the scheduling changes last oh, minute no last worries. week I, no or whenever worries that at was. <laughs> totally happens. I'm not actually in our normal studio at my office. I'm at home because my wife had nice. hip surgery last <gasps> Thursday. So I'm on daddy duty. Hopefully nothing blows up um, outside fine. of this room while I'm doing this. So if anybody screams or daddy, my the two-year-old needs a diaper change or something, it's, you know, that those kind of things may happen. So, so, um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Carlin. Well, as you might guess, I'm from Wisconsin. So there is the backstory there. I am a huge Green Bay Packer fan, even right okay. now. So yeah. uh, big sports fan. And I am based, I split my time between um, Scottsdale, Arizona and San Diego. So I go between Scottsdale and San Diego now. And a lot of my background, I started in small business um, in the orthopedic space, running uh, oh. orthopedic practices in Arizona. And then I was picked up by Stryker. So I worked for Stryker Corporation for several years, many, many years. And at that point, decided to peel off from Stryker, the traveling started to get a little out of control. I have kids as well. So this- What were you doing for Stryker? Um, in operations. So oh, when I okay. was there, we had um, over 1,500 physical therapy clinics. So they had a physical therapy division. And that is what I was responsible for. Wow, that's, you know, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with Stryker, not like, you know, super, super familiar. We had, a, I've had a, one of my longest running clients in my businesses over the years, uh, she had a small, she recently just um, is transitioning away, but she had a small um, manufacturing, positioning products, manufacturing plant in Wisconsin. And she was a big, she was a supplier or she worked with Stryker as one of her biggest accounts. So that's how I that's got That's fabulous. Guys. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So I learned a lot. There's no question about it. I learned a lot working for a publicly traded company yeah. um, and all the demands of what that requires for sure. So how did you get into the orthopedic space before I that? Had, well, up until um, a year or two years ago, I had eight knee surgeries. Oh, wow. So I Athletic had- Athletic related or eight, just kind of personal? Like um, No, sports related sports and related. Um, four in each knee. And my husband always jokes with me. He's like, do you have to tell everybody that? Oh my God, yeah. why do you have to tell everybody that? <laughs> but I was, I went to go see this orthopedic surgeon when I was at Arizona State University and uh, he had to do another surgery on one of my knees. I blew out my ACL again and I was waiting tables and I just broke down in tears because I thought, what am I going to do? Like, I have to wait tables. Like, I don't have time for surgery. Like, I can't, I can't do yeah. this. Like, I, I have to work. And he said, well, what if you were, what if you worked for me as a receptionist? I thought, Okay. So that's what I did. That's how I got into it. Very cool. I, so I don't want to pass on the the ACL stuff. So how did you how did you tear your ACL the first time? Uh, basketball. Basketball. When I played basketball. Court yeah. injuries. I tore yes. my ACL in 2007 uh, playing football. Uh, yeah. I was I was done with uh, you know collegiate and stuff like that. I was just playing semi pro stuff. You know, no pay involved and just local here in the Wisconsin area. And yeah, I blew it out. I was working for the Boy Scouts and I had to get a full, I did the, I did the cadaver version of the, oh, the nice. surgery, which has been good so far, as long as I don't, as long as I keep working it. Yeah. So and I mean, surgeries. that's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. And I just had one um, a year ago, November, just one more. So now I'm up to nine. Um, and wow. ironically, my husband just had a total knee surgery. And I know I'm headed towards a total knee, maybe on both at some point. But after watching him go through total knee surgery right now, I'm looking at it and he has a striker knee in there. So of course, <laughs> I'm an av advocate for the striker knee. I'm looking at that going, mm, I don't think I'm in a big hurry right now. No, no, yeah. no, no. So for all of our listeners, go easy on your body, right? Go easy. <laughs> right, but hey, uh, the the door closed on on that and you opened up and for, for working in orthopedics. So you started in as a receptionist. So did you work your yep. way up? Yes, yes. Okay. Who would have guessed? I would have never been in the healthcare space had it not been for my knee surgeries. It's Absolutely. 
kind of crazy. I would never be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for a knee surgery. So it is kind of crazy to think about what path life puts you on, right? And I listened to your podcast um, with Valerie, and it was so oh, cool. interesting to listen to what her path was and how she got to where she is today. We think we know where we're going to head to. Like, I thought for sure I'm going to be on Wall Street. I'm going to be a trader. I'm going to live in New York. I'm going to do all these <laughs> things. Absolutely. That is where I'm headed right out of high school into college. I was going to do that. Absolutely. And then, nope, not exactly. Nope. nope. But you're where you're supposed to be, right? Yeah. It's yeah. It feels similar really good. Me. Yeah. I had, I had no idea that my best friend would be from India and I'd have a couple business partners and we'd be super close and we'd start this business and we'd be doing a podcast. You know, it's like, no, this is not what the plan was. I was going to work for a national nonprofit and run the Boys and Girls Club or something. That's what I thought I was going to do when I was a kid, when I was Oh, young, I love that story. A kid. I but, love that story. So I, I'm super interested. I'm like, I'm going to, for our audience, I'm going to, you know, see if I can pull out of you some of the, the importance you learned in the reception work for in that orthopedic office because, you know, our company, we work in the medical space. We So we're doing some IT support in one part of our company. We're doing revenue cycle management. We're doing remote scribe work, things like that. So a lot of our clients, a lot of our best clients, they are, they're, they're private practice. And we get a lot of feedback. We have a lot of conversations with our folks. And, you know, a lot of the times our, our main contact is receptionist or admin or something like that. Um, in fact, we started developing a virtual reception type service where we we leverage a, a remote professional on our team, but have kind of a virtual experience in the office where people can still interact and we're kind of still beta testing it. But that upfront part of a practice is so important. What was your experience like starting out and kind of working through that? Because obviously you moved on. Right, because if you know if you're if you're good enough and you find you you have a new hunger to do more things, you move on. But what what did you learn about that spot that was that you find the most important? Brian, I have so much to say in this space, so I'm going to try to make it concise for our That's listeners. Okay. If you've got the time, we've got the time. We can edit out and whatever. Great. Well, <laughs> as I was a patient, so as a patient, if you've never been a patient, right? In and I was young, very young. Um, and going in there as a patient, like when you show up to a medical practice, right? Any medical practice, orthopedics, general practice, you know, OBGYN, whatever it is, you're there for a reason. And most of the time you're there and you don't want to be there necessarily. Absolutely. Most of us yep. don't want to show up there. So I, I started to understand what it, that first person, you're the first contact that that patient has with that office, that practice. And be nice. Can you just smile? Can you, mm -hmm. I don't want to be there. I know the doctor's probably running late. The doctor's always running late. Like that always is a thing. So I had to figure out how to take my role and do the best I could. For me, it was so important because I realized that as a patient, when I showed up and people were cranky with me, I'm like, okay, can you not be cranky with me? I don't want to be here either. So I'm here because I'm hurt. I'm in pain. You know, I'm, I'm, ch I'm challenged with, I need to return to work, whatever the case might be. And that receptionist has such an important role. And I realized that when I started working for that doctor, he told me, first of all, he, he told me, you know, when you show up, do the best job you can, right? Whether you're bagging groceries, whatever you're doing. And that's part Amen. of the four agreements. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the four agreements and it's part of my value system. And that is always do your best, always do your best. So I treated that receptionist role like it was going to be, I was going to be the best receptionist that existed. Like I was going to always be friendly. I was always going to have a smile. I was always going to be empathetic to whoever showed up at the front. And it was really, really important. And just like anything, like I'm sure when you interview people, just smile. Like a smile right. changes everything. It like does. we can make it fun. It doesn't yep. have to be serious. It doesn't have to be negative. Like you can make it different. You can change everything that way. It's, it's so true. A lot of people don't like, you know, hearing the, the, the fake it till you make it kind of thing, but it, I don't look at it as like faking it. Like everybody's got kind of troubles and you got things on your shoulders and, but it's, it's not my, it's, I don't think it's my responsibility to kind of put, you know, like, thrust that upon everybody around me by my kind of attitude and things like that. And the people I probably struggle with that the most is the people closest to me, you know, friends and family. Cause like, Oh, I'm going to take some of this off my, right. But 
but you're absolutely right that and that's that's i've heard it from so many you know doctors and so many people in the healthcare industry and it's a struggle it's hard because the when you're in that spot there has to be a there has to be a mind shift either the personality that you have there understands that and it sounded like you did at that point in your life but a lot of people don't and it's sometimes it's really hard to um to kind of take people from i call it from the uh from a standpoint of attitude like everything i th- i think there's a 5 and a 95% in people um mm-hmm. and but there's the attitude too like most of us were just carrying around our baggage right but you, sometimes you find those folks that just get it when it comes to having a positive mental attitude, just getting after and being happy and things like that. So, but I, I believe the art of that can be, it can be trained and sometimes it's how I behave too, right? Right. And you surround yourself with people like that, right? Yeah, so if absolutely. I'm surrounding myself with people that have that same mindset and somebody comes into our fold and they maybe don't have that mindset yet, like my team, my team that I work with every day, day in, day out, they're fabulous. Whether they came in with that attitude out of the gates or I hired them that way out of the gates, I don't know, but it becomes contagious. So let it be contagious. Have that positive, empathetic attitude when possible. And of course, don't, like you said, you're going to have dark days. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have these things. That's when you start to build up a toolbox and figure out, okay, how can I do a shift? What What's going to get me out of that space? For me, like fresh air, sun, something, get out in nature, go for a walk, take a beat, do a meditation, do something that like pulls you out of that space. But those that just becomes part of your toolbox as you figure it out and as you work together, whether it's with another person, an accountability partner, a team member. Um, I know in our office way back when, when we used to do this, we used to rely on each other to say, hey, I'm in a funk and I got to figure this out because my patients, our patients don't deserve this. So I need to like kind of figure this out. If you can help me out or can you cover the front desk for me for like, you know, an hour, I just need to step outside. I'm struggling with something personally and I just need to like, just take a minute. That's okay. Like be vulnerable that way. And I think that's the beautiful thing that we're all accepting of each other. We all have these challenges to your point, mental health challenges, whatever it is, honor it and then figure out the best tools to be able to navigate um, with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I experienced that too. in, in our, our small team that we're building at our, in our Sheboygan office, it's, you know, I have one, one of my guys, he can tell when I'm just not when I'm in a funk and he's like, Hey man, you need a hug. I'm like, get away from me with that. And it, he'll just persist. I'm like, fine, you know, give me the stupid hug, get away from me. <laughs> but like it, after that, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I call it clearing the calculator. It's like hitting that C button and okay, yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to jump back in. And I have, there's other folks that can come in. They can tell when I'm just, I'm just out of it. And I've got to make sure that I, I don't, you know, again, project the things that I'm going through onto them because it's not their fault. Well, and Brian, I I heard something recently and I have to give my sister credit for this and she lives in Milwaukee and uh, she's in a great corporate position right now and she manages a lot of people. And she said what what the one thing that she's using that's really helped her in the last year or so is asking, do you need me to hear you? Do you need me to help you? Or do you need me to hug you? That's kind of like what I say to my wife. That was, it's, well, it's just you just it. reminded me of it. That was perfect. I mean, because what I, I mean, I think a lot of guys struggle with this is we want to be a problem solver. We want to get yeah. out and get a wrench and fix something. Hey, it, the, the engine's running now. But a lot of the folks closest to it, in this case, my wife, she's like, I just need you to shut up and listen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I remember learning that a few years ago. Again, I still forget to do that sometimes, but you're absolutely right. You need me to just listen. You need me to help yeah. you solve this problem or you just need yeah. me to give you a hug. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. I love remembering <laughs> that. All right. Hey, I really, I appreciate you, you know, sharing, uh, your insight about that, about that, uh, reception position when it comes to practice private practice. I think it goes, there's a lot of different places where the first person is the face of your business that you meet and that you see, and it's out there. There's so many different types of business where that's the case, but sometimes it's often forgotten how important that is. But like when I go into a practice, I remember that person and I remember the doctor because they're my doctor. But all the other stuff is peripheral and it's fuzzy, but it's that person that either treated you well or didn't that you think of first when you know you have to go back. And to your point on that, Brian, you're right. And that can make or break an office, right? And it's a competitive market for sure. Um, Healthcare can be a little bit different if you are in a space where it is 
non-insurance, right? So if you if you operate in any of the spaces where it's cash pay only or whatever the mm -hmm. case might be, so the plastic surgery side of business or whatever right. that is, eye contact is so important. I've worked with a lot. I worked with some mental health hospitals out of Corporate Christi, Corpus Christi. And that's um, also interesting because you've got a whole different group of patients coming through there that you do have to be really empathetic with that. The other piece that you just reminded me of is as a patient or as a person out, whether you are, I've also waited tables, right? So as mm. a person on the other side of that, there's a reason people wear their name tags. They don't wear their name tags to remind themselves of who they are necessarily. Right. They, they wear their name tags so they can tell you what their name is. So I think it's really important to be able to address people by their names. And you reminded me of that. You remember the person that was the first point of contact or that receptionist or that intake coordinator or whatever role they're playing in that particular healthcare facility or office. Same when you go to a restaurant, you remember the waiter or the server mm -hmm. or whatever the case is. Use their names. Like they're human beings. We're not human doers. We're right. human beings. Right. So sure. if we t say each other's names frequently, now you've put a name with a person like, that matters. That matters. Yeah, absolutely. What's that in, uh, what is that Carnegie says? You know, the, the sweetest sound to any person's ears is the sound of their own name. You yeah. know, we forget that a lot, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll, and like we'll say, oh, I'm really bad with names. No, you're not. You just don't make it a priority. Right. That's what it is, right? right? So, that's one of the, I think that's one of the biggest compliments we can pay people is to remember their names, but make it a focus of it, of your time yeah. when you first meet them. So, yeah. Okay. As I'm headed to a networking event right after this, it's a good reminder for me. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I'm headed to a networking event. And that's a really tough time to be able to like circle through a bunch of names all at one time. But I will now, because of you and I having this conversation, I am going to make that a priority today. As, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert at it, but it's one one big thing when I bring people into my team, I have a, uh, from, from years past and being involved in other business, I have a top five books that I've that I've read over the years and I try to read every year, you know, how to win friends and influence people, personalities plus, what else, magic of thinking big, a lot of these things and I'm trying to teach them. And this is one big thing when you're around other people, don't, if you're nervous, it's because you're thinking about yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about yourself, you're not going to remember anything about anybody else. Just realize that everybody there that you're with is thinking about themselves. So if you make them the priority, they're going to remember you and you're going to remember them and you won't be nervous anymore because everybody's just thinking, Hey, how's my hair look? How's my teeth look? You know, is there something, is there, you know, something in my beard, you know, do, yeah. do, do these pants make me look fat? Everybody's got those things going through your head and you're all standing around a circle or sitting around a, a table. Be the one person that's not doing that. Find something you like about somebody else and mention it and get the conversation rolling. You know what I mean? Get out of your head about it. It sounds so simple. And I'm so glad you brought this up for all of the listeners out there because it does, it, it, it addresses two things, the nervous, the nervousness, right? So that address that and then showing up as your best self and really making an impact at that event. So I guess there's three things. I absolutely yeah. love that. And I would love to know your books. Yeah. So the, my top five are, um, it's a, it's a, there are, some of them are really old books. Uh, one of them is how I raised myself from failure, success and selling by, Frank Betcher, um, um, The Magic of Thinking Big, and then let's see, Personalities Plus by Florence Littauer. It's kind of a personalities kind of book, but it's 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 a different type of non-clinical spin using kind of ancient Greek terminology on the four different um, four different personalities. But I, I really love that book because it, it does a really good helping, job of helping you recognize yours, but how to recognize it in others and how to to leverage that knowledge to be the right person for the person in, in that moment. You know, not, mm -hmm. so a lot of personality tests say, okay, yep, I'm a, I'm a D or I'm a mm -hmm. dominant personality or I'm, I'm passive or whatever. And that's just me. Love it or leave it. N no, if you know what you are and you know what the others are, you have, you have an advantage. You can, you can kind of get outside of your, your shoes and be the person that that person needs you to be in the moment to kind of open things up and make them feel comfortable and bring them out. So so there's Matt. So what did I not say? Oh, um, how to win friends and influence people, and then confidence and power in dealing with people. So it's a lot of people skills thing, because people come into our company, they've got their education, which, you know, uh, uh, primary, secondary, post secondary, graduate. They all do a really good job of teaching the science. They do a really poor job of teaching art. 
And what I mean by art is the art of dealing with people, the art of people skills. Like, and I try to I try to tell my folks this: whether you're with me forever or not, or you go on to bigger and better things, the things that's going to make you most successful, make you happiest, make you the most money in life, is going to be your people skills, because that's what moves you along: is other people. You have to be good with other people, or you're going to be alone. <laughs> so. Um, those are my top five. I try to read, I try to get through those once at least every year while I'm reading other stuff. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. Um, but it always reminds me of, and I, I figure something out new and try to apply it, you know, every time I'm going through those. So how about you? Are I you a big that. reader? I'm a big reader and I hope you drop these because I can't write them down fast enough. So I, I hope I'll, you drop these them over books, to you, yeah. uh, that or drop them in the show notes for our listeners too. Yeah, I for think sure. That would be that yeah, Usually great. when I'm in studio, I have them on the shelf behind me. I oh, just right. kind of keep them there as a subconscious way of people hopefully zoom in. What's that? What's that right there? So, right. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm a big reader. Absolutely. And and I, I kind of juggle like I juggle between sometimes I'll listen to one on Audible um, when I'm not listening to podcasts. I'm also sure. a podcast junkie. So I listen to podcasts all the time. And then sometimes I'll listen to them on Audible and I'll think, oh, I need to buy the book because I want to actually annotate inside of the book. So I'll listen to it on Audible. And recently I just bought a book and I'm like, it's I just want to annotate it. So Atomic Habits for me, every year I read Atomic Habits. I can't, I feel like I always get something out of that. The Four Agreements, that has now recirculated back onto my list because I, I like that um, a lot. Um, Science of Getting Rich, I like that one. Um, Think and Grow Rich, I read Think that one rich, as well. Think and Grow Rich, that's- Those that, are classics. That book, got, that book shifted my attitude about- I was in 2009 when I first listened to it a million times before I actually read it. But that changed everything for me. Yeah. It really changed my direction. So it's not one I read every year because it's super deep. Um, but it's yeah. it's it's always on my desk. And yeah. it was so funny. It, that book came up a couple podcasts ago with one of our guests because we were talking about books. And he he's like, I think we're going to rich, Napoleon Hill. And I'm like, oh my God, Napoleon. We got to talking about Napoleon Hill. My wife watched the podcast and all of a sudden, Every book that I didn't have from Napoleon Hill starts showing up. She's going on like half.com and cheap books and finding all these used books because it's hard to find the originals mm -hmm. in circulation. And I've got all these Napoleon Hill books in my office that I don't have time to read right now, but super cool. Well, and I was just having this conversation, you know, also with um, another person about listing all the books I want to read, like all your recommendations will go into my Goodreads list. And then because I used to just go ahead and start ordering them through Amazon or, you know, some private, you know, booksellers or whatever the case is yeah. to support smaller bookstores, because I'm a huge fan of supporting small businesses. And I used to do all of that. And I think, oh my gosh, I have so many books here. I actually don't even know where to start. So I started to just keep a Goodreads <laughs> list. And now I'm methodically try to go through that and then of course with the annual books but i i love i love reading i've always got two or three books going at the same time and that's something it's me too and that that's something that i didn't have that hunger to do that younger but it took yeah. a couple people uh getting around a couple people that did and understanding it was a big part of their success and then you just get that itch it's funny another one of our guests it's another reason why i love doing this i'm going to check out all those books you mentioned he wrote a book. His name was is Brandon Barnum. He, re, he wrote a book on, he's kind of, they call him the king of referrals. He's a big referral uh, sales uh, growth through referrals. And he mentioned his book and I'm going, I'll get around to it. And I had to travel to Utah a couple of weeks ago to meet with a client. And it was like an eight hour travel day there and back. And I'm like, you know what? I need to figure out this referral thing because our biggest, best A-game clients have all been referrals. I'm like, I got to figure out a way to systematize this. So I got his book on Amazon and I, I, I opened it up on my tablet and I'm not a fast reader. It usually takes me a long time to get through books. I got 15 minutes and I got to move because my mind's racing, but I was captive at nothing else to do. And I got through this book on the, the travel there and the travel back. I did the whole book, got probably 50 pages of notes. Now it's just about carving out time to apply everything that's in that book because it was really good. So that's, I would that's definitely- awesome to know. Yeah, if 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 for everybody listening or even you, if referrals is a thing that just seems like, and because everybody kind of says, well, you can't grow your business through referrals. It's very ambiguous. You just luck of the draw. You do a good job. Someone tells you about some, but I'm convinced after reading his book because he's done a really good job of of highlighting all the different types and ways, and then kind of turning it into a process that can easily be understood and kind of applied with yourself and your team, and it's going to take some work, obviously, but I mean, that could be huge, turning that into a, a, a new client machine. 
Well, and you brought up two really valuable points that I'd love to touch on for your listeners today. And that yeah, is please. referral marketing. Referral marketing, When with all the KPIs, I measure things in my business. When I work with small businesses, I, I'm a big numbers person. So um, like spreadsheets are my love language. You know, I love dashboards always. I'm always measuring things. And what we've seen is in 2023, end of 22, into 23, and forecasted for 24 is referral marketing. That's the space you want to be in. So you're right in the sweet spot and your timing couldn't be better because everything we're seeing and I've tracked, I can even track my leads and my business. And I will tell you, my social media following is not big. My yeah. referral, my for referral business is, you know, probably 85% of my business and wow. yeah. it's showing up and doing quality work and it's showing up in the networks and it's being present. So there's that, that is really interesting. And then what you just also brought up is, which ties into, I'm taking a course right now out of Colorado and it's an AI course for small businesses. Mm -mm. Okay. And it's not this creepy AI replacing and getting into the weird yeah. space AI stuff, because I'm sure that exists, but this is actually using AI to set up processes for you as a solopreneur, partnerships, uh, S corps, C corps, whatever it is, and really getting some good um, SOP, standard operating procedures mm -hmm. behind what you're talking about. So if you're gonna set up a referral process, AI can actually help you. And that's a whole nother conversation. But what I'm doing right now is exactly that inside of my business because so much of it is um, touch points, right? And I don't mm -hmm. want to automate everything. You don't want to do that. So how do you make it a really nice hybrid of tracking your referrals, staying in touch with your referrals, you know, keeping that pipeline full and being like available to those referral partners or whoever that might be, that affiliate contact or whatever it is. Um, right. There's a lot of nice ways to blend that. I'm building out some big um, Excel sheets right now to at least put the path mm -hmm. onto something. And then I can say, okay, this is where I come in personally. This can be automated. This is where right. I'm in personally. This can be automated. Those those kind of trigger parts of the automation, yes. if those yes. can be if or the processes, if those can be automated, because for me, it's about, I need the things to be automated that I forget to do that remind yes. me to do the right things, which is pick up the phone and call somebody or take yes. somebody out the lawn or, you know, massage a relationship. And, and or, or otherwise, you just kind of get busy with urgent things that people are putting on your desk and that need to be taken care of. And the important things don't get done, right? Yes. Yes, so. and you miss out. And so how much business are you leaving on the oh, table? A ton. We've right. we've messed up so much over the not messed up, but we missed. You know, like right. we've 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 wowed people. People have been halfway with us. They've stuck with us for years, and we've not done a good job of cultivating a relationship in a way where they wish want to tell us about people that that need what we do. Right, or do a Google review for you, or do a LinkedIn review for you, or any of the above. There's so many little things that are people are willing to do. You just got to ask us, right? That's so right. as you're busy, or I'm busy, or anybody listening who's busy, you know, ask me for a Google review, or ask me for a LinkedIn review, or something. Send me the link, and I'll do it for you. Don't assume I'm going to do it. You right. have to ask me. You have to send me a request because I have to put it on my list too. I'm as busy as you are. So I think there's so much goodness there. You just have to ask us. We all want to help each other. We're yeah, you know, you just reminded me of something. I learned this years ago, and you—it's—it's it's funny listening to you talk. Reminded me of stupid things that I'm not—not not stupid things, but things that I'm being dumb about and not doing. It's like I used to be in fundraising, right? Just my education was nonprofit stuff, and it's fundraising for years. And the the fundraising 101 is if you don't ask, people aren't going to give you, right? Yeah. If you just have like it was alumni fundraising for the the college I went to is how I broke into it, and it's like if you don't ask people, they're not just going to show up and start sending you money. You know what I mean? And with right. anything else, the same thing here. It's just you got to be willing to ask. Um, yeah. And those Google reviews, yeah, that's a big deal. We started asking a lot more. And, and every ticket we have customer service-wise, if if someone gives us a nice, what we call a smile back, clicking on a smiley, they get a message that says, hey, thank you so much for the you know the great message. And we're glad you, uh, you like this. If you want to leave us a Google review, click below. It'll automatically copy your, your message and take you over. Just hit paste and go. And you can do it. Google's a little tricky because they want you to use a Google profile. And if you don't have that set up, you got to kind of do that. And that can be a little off-putting for some folks. But, right. you know, it does. I don't think it takes much to get to the top in, in whatever your, your segment is or your vertical is of Google reviews. Because if you go to people, there's maybe, the good ones maybe have 10 or 11. And if right. you can get up to around 100 or so, and what I tell my team is, listen, if we can get one every week, we've got 52. 
There's no competitors in the state that have 52 positive Google reviews. If we can get five every week, we're blowing people out of the water. And that's more important than for organic search. That's more important than anything we could put on our website, you know. So. so you just talked about a process, and this is exactly what I'm dropping into where I work with my clients and I'm doing this with my own team. But one of the processes would be you'd set up a SOP for Google reviews, right? Yep. And your goal would be one a week. And that would be the process. So your whole team is now part of when they when you onboard a new team member, that would be part of the process to say right. part of what we do is every time we have a successful you know ticket that's been closed, good customer satisfaction, whatever the case is, send them this link personally from their email or whatever, don't make it right. necessarily a automated thing or automate it, but have a personal template set up inside of your Gmail account or whatever you use, right? And um, that's part of the process. So now, as as you might guess, I'm a KPI person. I'm gonna yep. look at my team and say, see who has done that and who hasn't. And then I bonus people on going above and beyond. So if the goal was one a week and that's your job, then beyond that, if you get five a week for the, you know, for the first quarter of 2024, you're going to get a bonus of X, whatever X yeah, is in your organization. So now it. I'm setting up incentive plans. So my team mm. knows they're bought in and they're making a difference. And they now they understand how they can actually make a difference. So you've actually just given me an idea to be able to do that with my team too. But I, um, I set up a lot of incentives with the, with the teams that I work with because you want to have that buy-in, whether they're a 1099, a W-2, it doesn't matter. You can do it for both. It's fine. I gotta figure, yeah, because we're not incentivizing it from a team team standpoint yet, but we could. We're incentivizing it from a client standpoint. So another part of that is, so we get a we get a you know a positive feedback from a ticket close or whatever. Someone's happy. Our service manager sees that. It used to be our dispatch person, but our service manager sees it. He'll screenshot. He'll screenshot it and put it in because we use Zoom for our inner Zoom for our inner office uh, communication, phone chat video whatever. And he'll put it in the chat and we have a, a, a Teams chat set up, you know, for that through Zoom and everybody will see it. And then you, I even have our content social marketing person in on that. She sees it. She grabs it, takes out the person's name to keep them, mm -hmm. you know, their identity, identity safe or whatever. And then she posts that on social mm -hmm. and says, great job. You know, let's say Ken is one of our agents. Great job, Ken, in helping out this client. They love what you did for them. And it'll be a picture of the actual ticket closing with the, with the happy thing. Um, and then what we do is another person, she's supposed to watch it. And then she sets up just a, a personal email from her to the client says, thank you so much for the great feedback. Just a reminder here, or, and she'll say, you know, Ken loves working with you. You know, he always talks great about when he gets to help you. But then as a reminder, don't forget, head over to the Google review business page at this link, update your, your, with your most recent experience and you get put into our monthly drawing for a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. So incentivizing is in it that way. But since you mention it, really, there, yeah, to, I, I think right now our small staff is really excited about just growing the company in general. So everybody wants is kind of on board with this, but even incentivize it internally, that can really, it can stay top of mind for them every day to be checking, hey, instead of, you know, oh, I, let me check this and see if anything's new in there. Oh, I got to check. I got to check. Hey, any good stuff? Any good stuff? Yeah. I like right. That. Well, and then they just add it to their list. So like if I look at my calendar for this week as an example, right? I know how many reach outs I want to do this week, how many personal reach outs I want to do. Well, each member of my team, that would go on their list then to say, okay, I need to follow up with, you know, 10 Google review people that I sent this out to or whatever it is and just double check with them to see. If, and then it's just adds that extra layer of customer satisfaction too. Because if you reach out a second time, not to say, hey, did you do that Google review yet? Right. No, you're going to say, hey, just checking in. Hope everything is still going smoothly for you. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And then you you just put in, you know, something as a gentle reminder or something interesting. Don't forget, you'll be, you know, you could be uh, a winner of our, you know, um, $100 gift card or whatever yep. it is, like just a gentle reminder. But it's just that extra step because you're going above and beyond. And let me tell you, all you have to be is just a little bit better than average, right? You That's just true. have to be a little bit better than average to do really, really, really well. Yep. You're absolutely right. That's a big point with well, most, things, most things in life. If you're just a little bit better than average, if you can just outrun the person next to you, yes. the bear is going to yes. get them, not you. Yeah. Right? Yes. So well, that's a cool. good analogy. That's a good analogy. Hey, we got way off on the original. I really wanted to find out. So how did you, how did you jump from the reception level at mm -hmm. orthopedic and kind of start moving your way up to, to eventually doing what you're doing now? 
Um, wow. Okay. So I worked as a receptionist. Then the group started to open up satellite offices. So I was um, in charge of helping do everything from finding team to replace myself. So I had to replace mm -hmm. myself, of course, right? And yep. grow with this uh, orthopedic practice. So as they were growing, I was growing, which was a great way to cut my teeth on what to do and not to do, right? Insurance contracts, I negotiated insurance contracts, credentialing, credentialing with the hospitals. Oh, yeah. You know, you have block time when you're a surgeon, so you have to, you know, take on ER time sometimes to be able to get that block time in a hospital setting. Then you talk about TIs for new offices, right? So we had tenant improvements for our new lease space, whether that's x-ray facilities and all of those things. I really got my arms around everything it took to build an orthopedic practice. So I really understood the back end or back of house. Um, I was not treating patients. On occasion, I had to help remove a cast here and there, but other than that, <laughs> um, and some patient intake stuff. Oh, and then we came into the point of when electronic medical records, right? So then installing an EMR system. So mm -hmm. now I also was exposed to technology. Well, what happened is we were working with a bunch of physical therapists, as you might guess, as orthopedics. Yep. And I got to know the physical therapist side of the business. And at that point, um, these particular groups were get, were being bought by Stryker to build that physical therapy division. So as these physical therapy groups were being bought by Stryker, there was a relationship established between the orthopedic and the physical therapist. Finally, Stryker came in and said, you know what you're doing both from a patient standpoint, an orthopedic relationship side, and opening up offices. So they picked me up and recruited me out of the orthopedic space to run what was first the Southwest region, which is okay. Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, that space, New Mexico. Yep. And then um, I was in that position for not very long and was pulled to corporate. So then mm -hmm. I was pulled up to headquarters and then was in charge of all the all of the physical therapy places that we continue to purchase. And that was a big process because you're taking all these individual offices and as you, you can imagine, so many employees mm -hmm. and bringing them into a corporate setting, which is positive and negative. Um, sometimes when a corporation buys you out, there's definitely hurdles. And mm -hmm. using the empathy side of everything that I had practiced up to that point, this is somebody's business. Like this is their baby. This is what they built. And now a corporation's going to come in and tell you how to run it, when to show up, like it's it's different, right? We all run our own businesses now and it'd be like as if a corporation said, hey, we're gonna pay you a lot of money and we're gonna take over your business. Like it's emotional. And well, it's a huge thing a going on right now with private practices purchased by network yes. hospitals and yeah. providers going from owning a business, not being very good at running it, selling it, becoming an employee and being miserable. And yeah. it's, it's one of the things we're trying to solve with private practices. Well, and then the other side of that is I really had a good understanding of accounts receivables. So I'm mm. I'm really heavy in the financial space, even working with my clients, and I understand accounts receivable. And I would get very passionate about physicians having massive accounts receivable balances. They work so hard for the money. They put their life on the line. They have to have huge malpractice expenses, right? And we can't collect the money. Like, that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense to me. And insurance gets to make um interest on the money that belongs to the doctors i don't doing, I'm, yeah. like i'm very passionate about that because if i can't collect the money or put in systems to collect the money then we can't give raises to employees not to mention the doctors don't also make much money so yep. i was very very diligent on keeping that ar balance and what's called dso um at a minimum and that was yep. that was part of what i was challenged with also at striker what does DSO stand for? I'm familiar with DRO, yeah. Days Revenue Outstanding. Is that the same? Same. Yep. Same days thing. Sales okay. Outstanding. Cool. Days Sales yeah. Outstanding. Okay. Yeah, same. Yeah, because we're talking a, we're talking a very similar language, which I knew nothing about a few years ago until we opened our RCM side of things. But you're right. It's it's a massive issue. <sighs> and we're, you know, our whole like from the medical business side of stuff, the things we do there, we're trying to help swing that pendulum back. Cause, you know, years ago it used to be it was network hospitals, but private practices everywhere. You could you pick up the litter. You could go get what you needed wherever you want and be, get really close with your doctor. But then it went the other way. They were just bad at managing business and things were falling apart. They get scooped up and now they're miserable. And like you talked about, as a patient, you go when you, when I, like I've, I don't have any private practices that I'm a part of in my community. They're almost all gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you've got a, two different competing, um, big network infrastructures, but you go in there and it's so, 
industrial clinical, it's it's such a downer. And you're already mm-hmm. going there. Like you said, you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And but right now there's no other choice because, you know, providers, doctors, they all got so discouraged with getting into it, wanting to administer care and create a good lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And and the the stereotype is, hey, you're a doctor, you must be you must be living it up. Well, not necessarily, because at least when you own your own business, you're going you go into care thinking you're gonna get care and hopefully find some good people to help you around the business. But that's really hard to do. It's so. really hard to do. And we we um we did centralized billing, then we decentralized billing, then we went back, you know, economies of scale come into play, mm-hmm. right? So I've I've looked at like both models several times over. You're right, um, selling to a hospital system in your example. And so I worked for Stryker, and then after I worked for Stryker um and left that because I was traveling all over the US, um it was constant, it was four or five days a week, every week for, you know, 48 weeks for sure out of a year. And um, after that point, I peeled off of Stryker and took all that knowledge that I was used to, both in the corporate setting to know the structures that are so important to learn, which was great for me, and apply those to private practices. Because mm. what would happen is those physicians would decide to part ways with the hospital system or part ways with a partner, potentially. So let's say you have two um, urology doctors that are partners, and they decide that, you know what, this relationship's really not working out, they're going to go off on their own, or one's going to sign with the hospital, and one is yep. going to stay in private practice. Practice. So I worked with a lot of those situations as well and setting them up, setting up all their back of house stuff, getting them recredentialed, new tax IDs, new Medicare licensure, all the things, all the inspections, all that stuff. And I could use that knowledge to apply it to private practices. But now I had the additional knowledge of a corporate structure from financial standpoint to say, here's the tools and the key metrics to make sure your business business, not mm-hmm. practice, your business is really healthy. We're going to keep your DSO under 35, you know, 35 days or DRO mm-hmm. to your point. Yep, yep. And we're going to make sure we're collecting at the front desk. There's no reason not to collect those copays. We're going to put that front desk person on a bonus system. If they collect 100% of the copays that are due at the time of service, you know, they That's are a bonus. Idea. So there's so Manny many was here. little I told things. Him to write that down, but he's <laughs> well, and the other thing is the no-show and cancellation rate. We are really big, certainly in the physical therapy space, but the no-show and cancellation rate had to be below a certain percentage as well because I've got staff s- sitting around and if somebody no-shows or cancels, like that's lost revenue. So I knew exactly how much each patient was averaging when they came through the door and that's a business. So t- having good clinical care, but that took all of that administrative business ops side s- kind of away from the physician or the practitioner, mm-hmm. whether it's a physical okay. therapist, doctor, MP, PA, whatever it is, and moved it so that we could report to that physician and they felt really healthy about knowing their business metrics, knowing how they could negotiate these things, having some peace of mind. And then on the flip side, everything in the back end is being taken care of, which is really, really good because um, at the end of the day, you're not in business if you don't make a profit or you're not in business if you don't know your numbers. You have to know your numbers Mm -hmm. or you don't really have a business. Right, that's right. I don't mean to be so crass about it, but it's- I don't don't think it's crass. I think, you know, it's it's absolutely true. You don't have a business if if you're not tracking things. Yes. Right? So. Yes. Okay. So you you joined Striker, you did that, and then you were helping on the private side, and then but now you're doing something a little bit different. Talk so to me about what you're doing now. Yes. Well, I decided. Um, I have four kids. So I have four kids. Look at that. We perfect. Have something else in common. Perfect. We have messed up knees. And four yes, kiddos. How old are your kiddos? Um, 26, 27, 31, and 33. Okay. Our kids' ages are a little different. <laughs> when you little said two-year-old. When you I've said two-year-old, like, <laughs> Yeah, I've got a two, a five, a 10, and a 12-year-old. We wow. waited a little while to start having kids. And if I could go back, I would just start early and probably had eight. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're great. They're pain in my booty, but they're great. Oh, so, and they get better, by the way. The, I... We have so much fun with our kids. And now oh, yeah. our kids cool. have significant others. One's married, two are engaged. Like it's it's so fun. When they say they want to spend New Year's with us, yeah. I think, wait, what? Like, wait, you want to hang out with us for New Year's? So it's so it's they think you're so, cool too. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, things yeah. are starting to speed up now. You know, like that that parabolic curve to to whatever, to success, to failure, whatever. It's not like it doesn't just happen. It felt like so long it was taking forever. 
now my son is like in that he's 12, but he's like growing so fast and getting smarter so fast. Same thing with my 10 year old daughter, who's probably more mature than he is. But like, they're just like starting to, they were like, it seemed like this for so long. I'm like, slow down, slow down. Yeah. Not yet. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, well, and I, I don't want to say this, but it gets faster. Actually, yeah, I'm sorry to does. say that. Every day. But like when it. they're sleeping, they're always your kids. So when yeah. you see them sleeping, <laughs> Well, that's a mother's perspective, I'm sure. But when I see them sleeping, I'm like, oh, you might be 27, but you know what? Mm." Yeah, you're just a little baby. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have four kids. I interrupted. I always get get super fired up about Um, kiddos. So so during middle school and high school, I thought, you know what? um, My consulting business for physicians ended up going going into more travel again. And I thought, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm repeating the same process here. This isn't going to work. Because like I said, I was working with a hospital system out of Corpus Corpus Christi. I had urology out of Nevada. Like it was, it was, I was juggling. So mm-hmm. at that point I decided to peel back and just take a couple of years and be with my kids through middle school and high school. You have the college applications and it was really good for me to be home. So I took a couple of years and just took a beat for a second, decided really, what do I want to do next? And I decided that I wanted to get into the product-based side of the business. I thought, how hard could it be? Like, I know, I know finance, I know marketing, I know management, I know tech, I love tech, you know? Okay. So how hard can this all be? So I decided to do a manufact- a product, a handbag company, and manufacture it in China and set up Shopify and do all the DTC and yeah. all the email marketing. And it was hard as hell. <laughs> it was hard. I had nobody to call. Like I didn't have an IT department. I didn't have a finance department. I didn't have yeah. a controller. It was me. I was doing all of it and I was doing it all like like gritty. Like I was the receptionist. I was customer service. I was, Everything, you know, social yeah. media posting. Whole new lifestyle on that. And I learned so much from the product-based business and manufacturing overseas and inventory situations and too much inventory. And I thought, of course, everybody wants to buy this right away. I'm just going to put it out there and they're going to buy it. Of course, not so much. No, 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 it's really crowded. And I spent a lot of time and money on that. um, And that was a learning lesson. And that was not what it turned out to be. Mm -hmm. But I met some incredible entrepreneurs along the way. And I thought, you know what? I have cut my teeth on so much of this. I can help you. I can help you set up systems. I can help you understand financials. I can help you with business acumen. I can help you with technology. I can help you do all this so that you stay in business. And Brian, one of my biggest things is not not helping somebody start a business. It's really, really helping somebody stay in business. Staying Mm -hmm. in business is really hard. It's not for the faint of heart mentally um, or financially. And... um, I really love that challenge of looking at the business or the company holistically and identifying those key areas where there can you can make change to stay in business. So yeah. that that was my path to what I'm doing today and you know I wish I would have started this path years ago. But then again, there was a reason why I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And I love it. I wake up every day and I I love it. I love the challenges. Like, I love it. The yeah. failures, the challenges, all the stuff. Yeah, you you know, I love I like the way you said that starting a business was pretty easy. It's staying in business. It's hard. You know, a lot of folks think that it's hard to start a business. It's hard to start a business that works. It's hard <laughs> to start a business, stay in business, like you're saying. Like, you can start a business, incorporate Say you want to sell something, you want to do something, deliver a service because you know how to do something and turn on the lights, turn on the sign, right? And okay, I've started a business. If you if you say that's starting a business, pretty easy. Maybe you need to have a little bit of money. Maybe you just bootstrap it and do all the paperwork yourself. It can be done. But that doesn't move the flywheel, right? That just creates a flywheel. Now I have this big thing that's just stagnant, not doing anything. That's my business. It started, but it's not moving. It's the staying in or moving the flywheel. Like, like you said, systems and surrounding yourself with the right people and uh, setting yourself up in a way where you're constantly learning and all those little things that slowly kind of push the, that wheel forward and gain some momentum, then it's, if you can gain some momentum, some traction, um, by, and it's really hard to know how to do that because you can have all the technical skills and you can have an administrative degree and business degree, but it doesn't, nec- like, it doesn't mean you're going to get that ball rolling. 
So well, what's in my degrees, my degrees are from a long time ago. I mean, yeah, let's just be honest, it's not the right? same world. Yeah. And no, and I'm I'm not young by any stretch. And I am taking an AI class and it is like 10 to 12 hours of homework a week. Like it's no joke. But I'm in that class to stretch myself, not only for my own business, but then also to serve my clients. Like I want to learn all of this so I can help them get over the hump just a little bit faster, not be afraid of this new technology, right? Yep. It's here to stay. We know that. To what capacity? We'll have to all decide that. That's fine. But I'd rather know and learn this stuff sooner than later to help others in, in that space. So I think the other part of all of this that it's teaching me is to be a lifelong learner, which is mm -hmm. you know a word that's used a lot to, to your point and to give back in that sense also but it's not for the it's not for the faint of heart because when you first start a business product or service your family supports you your friends support you you can sell the widgets you can sell the services they're like this is great we're going to tell our friends and family this is great so you get momentum you get cash flow you you get the orders or whatever the case might be then it goes kind of quiet, like potentially, I would say the three year mark is, okay, I actually need to get involved in networks. I need to be a thought leader. I need to expand. Mm -hmm. I need to have some cash flow to hire and delegate to your earlier podcast with Valerie, delegation. I just taught a whole course on delegation yesterday. Yeah. And that was going to kind of be my, my next question is, okay, say uh, I'm a business person. I'm a business person. And um, I've built my business to, to a degree. It's successful, but it's only as successful as I am successful within the business. How do I, as, as a business owner, entrepreneur, how do I, whether it's delegation or setting up systems or finding the right people, how do I create that to be able to turn it more into the, uh, like a business pipeline that I can step away from and it can still work? Right. Well, delegation, At to your point, delegation, finding the right person to support mm -hmm. you. And you don't have to go out and hire somebody for 40 hours a week or, 50, you know, sometimes more than 40 hours a week, right. whatever that person is. You can start with something. Just start. But here's what I really, really recommend is if you're a solopreneur and you're listening to this, there is there's a tool that I offer uh, free of charge. Um, and it's a delegation. It's automated now. But you can really do this very simply. Take a piece of paper and make four quadrants on that piece of paper, however you want to do that. Don't overcomplicate it. My whole messaging is progress over perfection. So don't overcomplicate it. And in one quadrant, you write down everything that you have to do. And you don't have to do this over like one day, one hour. Mm -hmm. You can do this over like a week or two weeks. I don't care. Just do this. Yep. But there's everything that you do. There's everything that you do, but you really don't like doing, or you're not good at it, or it sends you down a rabbit hole. So as an example, I know how to do Canva. I can build my own presentation decks, but I go down a rabbit hole because I like, oh, I like that color or I like that font mm -hmm. or I like that image instead. All of a sudden I'm adding a bunch of holiday decorations to my Canva deck and I think, what am I doing? I literally did that yesterday and I sat up and I said, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop, stop, stop. So that's the stuff you like to do, but you're not good at it or you go down a rabbit hole or it's just, um, time consuming. Then you have another quadrant that is no one probably needs to do it um, or it can be automated, right? So make that decision. And maybe that is office supplies. I'm using something very generic here. Let's say you know that you run through post-it notes once every three months. Well, then just go onto Amazon and order that box of post-it notes to automatically be sent to you once every three, three months. months. Just automate that or don't order the post-it notes. Who cares? Don't take up your time doing it. And then the other quadrant is it needs to get done and no one's doing it. And that's the quadrant you want to look at. And that's the quadrant that you look at. That's your next hire. Like put things in there. That's your job description or that's your job posting for your next person. So just start siphoning off things into that space. So for me, it was social media posting. Like I... I Mm. I don't rely on a lot of, I just don't do a lot of social media posting. That's an easy one to use as a reason, right? But I put that in there and then I built a job description. If I could have somebody manage my calendar, do my social media posting and something else. Okay, that becomes my job description. Is that one job? Is that three jobs? Like it gives me a starting point and I really like to get grounded in businesses first. So that's a really great place to start. You can do this with, if you've got a team of five, if you've got a team of 10, if you've got a team of two, or if it's just yourself, this whole exercise is also a really good team building exercise because if you have more than just yourself, 
let's say you have two or three people and you're working remote, sometimes your other team members, as you're hiring new people on the team, they don't know what each other really does. Mm -hmm. So this is a great team building exercise. Number one, to understand what everybody on your team does. And then number two, the stuff that's not getting done that probably needs to get done or that would you would like to get done in 2024 as an example, maybe one of your team members is wants to do that, like raises their hand to say, hey, I'll do that. I could use a couple extra hours a week or I'd like to learn about that. Let, let them drop in to say, hey, these are the open items we're not getting done. Mm. Is there anybody that would be interested in doing this before I start to look outside of our group? And no, often I'll get- yeah, I'll get people raising their hands to say, you know, if I could get email marketing off my plate, I would love to do presentation decks and metrics on XYZ. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I didn't know you would be so interested in that. Let's get email marketing off your plate. Does anybody want email marketing? Right, right. You know, crickets on occasion. Right. <laughs> then I go and find somebody who will probably help us with that. But that gives me, instead of hiring somebody to build presentation decks, now I'm going to go find somebody to do email marketing. That's a totally different position, potentially, or a contract position, or a freelancer, or mm -hmm. whatever, right? Intern or something like that. That's so, what I'm looking yes, at right now. Yes, intern. That's yeah. a great thing, because that's what I, I work with Arizona State University, and I teach there on occasion also to bring in the real world business into their business school. And... Um, that is a great another great option is interns absolutely yep yep we don't we have some small colleges and universities close to us biggest would be milwaukee area and we've got a little bit in green bay you know the, you know the landscape here in wisconsin all right carlin i know you're a packer fan yeah so you're born and born and raised in wisconsin i was born in california we california. moved my dad was in the air force and okay. we moved very quickly to wisconsin we're at in wisconsin um Shibu well Plymouth to start Plymouth? with. Okay, I know where you're at. And then in the country uh, on County Road C and M. I know. And yep. um, then so Sheboygan Falls, Plymouth area. Yes. Yeah. So you're not very far. You weren't very far from where I went. I, so I came to the area to go to school at Lakeland College. That's where I went oh. to school. Okay, I went and, to Sheboygan Lutheran. So that yep, was up okay. the street. Yep. And uh, my wife and I got married in Sheboygan. Moved to Manitowoc. I worked for the Boy Scouts for a number of years. Anyway, you're a Packer fan. Great. I like the Packers. I'm not not my favorite team because I was born and raised in Texas. You can probably guess Ooh, oh, yeah. who I like. Mm. And pa Packer mm. fans really just aren't very good, very friendly with with people like me often. But that's okay. I'm used to it. It's all right. Um, let's talk a little Packers. They started off rough this year. I guarantee you're tracking it from Arizona. My in-laws used to be in Arizona, and they were kind of fair weather. They were always Packer fans. We're like, if they were doing bad, they'd just pick up the Cardinals and be like, hey, look who we got back when mm -hmm. Kurt Warner was still with him. So Packers are doing all right these last couple of weeks. How are, you, how are you feeling about Jordan Love? Okay, so I have a journey. I okay. am in fantasy football and it's oh. really competitive. And so I've mm. got a fantasy, and my fantasy football team- How do you find time for, for that? I, I know, right? I just did my, uh, I just went on the waiver wire last night, actually, because you know it was Tuesday night. But um, my team's called Packer Nation. My oh. Peloton handle is called Packer Nation. <laughs> so if anybody's on Peloton out there, hit me up at Packer Nation. Packer Nation. Packer okay. underscore nation. And right. um, my fantasy team's been called Packer Nation for uh, a long, long time. And okay. so Packers, I um, my one of my later draft picks was Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. I did that because I needed a backup quarterback somewhere along the way. And then, of course, we all know what happened oh, there, yeah. right? So I did pick up Jordan Love in the beginning, and then I dropped him. But now, as of last night, <laughs> I picked up A.J. Dillon. I think it's A.J. Mm -hmm. Dillon, right? I picked him up because, and I picked up the Packer defense for this week's yeah. matchup because I am really pushing for a playoff position. Um, today, this is the last week of the oh, wow. uh, fantasy football playoff uh, positions. So I am tracking the Packers quite a bit. I will always be a fan. I do see some potential. I'm pretty excited. I have to admit. I uh, jury's still out for me. Only because what I what I look for the most in that position is maturity and character and athletic ability, obviously. The guy's got it. Um, decision making, that kind of stuff. Um, because unlike any position on you know, there's some defensive positions that are kind of like that, leadership roles, but that's the position, that's what one of the the brain parts of that game is everybody's gotta be smart. People think football people are dumb, but oh. um like you got to be a good decision maker. And there's so much happening so fast at that position in the game that, man, it's make or break. And a lot of the way 
you carry yourself in front of the cameras or microphones or outside everywhere else, it transitions, it bleeds its way into the field a lot of the time or the locker room. And I think that's kind of some of that stuff kind of happened with Aaron, you know, as he got, you know, further along in his tenure. I think that's hard to to resist, but I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. I hope he does awesome. Listen, I am too. And if I'm you, not a Packers fan, but when the but when the Packers play good, it's good for business. Everybody's happy. <laughs> like, every well, poor bad social statistic that's tracked goes in the gutter or increases when the Packers lose in Wisconsin, and it's just not good for business. Yeah, and I we've sat here, and my husband was a Dallas Cowboys fan oh, um, before was. we got married. What yeah. Happened? Yeah, well, because we got married. And so he's, just, um, he's just hidden. Yeah, he's a closet Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. So um, to your point, yes, when we watch the Packers and they don't play well or they lose or they lose in Lambeau, even worse, right? Um, my husband will say to me, ooh, it's not going to be it's not going to be a good day in Wisconsin. Yep. Nope, it's not going to oh. be good. So I feel the pain. You know, I feel a little bit removed from it, but I've dealt with the Arizona Cardinals and um, those that – that is, it's hard to be a sports fan. Let's just sum it up at times. It's very, very hard to be a sports fan. It's a good thing I have something else going on in my life that I don't have yeah. to actually rely on sports to make or break my days. I used to be heavy into sports. Growing up as a young man, like I was I was up for school six in the morning watching sport, you know, three setting sets of sports center before I got on the bus. You know, like I had to know all the stats and from every sport. I knew tennis. I knew everything. And then college was kind of the same way. But as you grow and especially once I had kids it's like I don't have time on Sundays to sit here and watch Dallas lose (laughs) and get mad and think like I just wasted three hours of my day you know there's so many more things I could have got done so now I'm a you know I'm a YouTube highlights for now (laughs) like I don't I just don't you know Sundays it's 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 church or you know I I play guitar and stuff and, and and like or it's the kiddos you know and then I I I track you know in the the dead of the night before when I can't fall asleep, I'm trying to catch up on everything on my phone, but yeah, it's, it's different. Like it's, and once I stopped playing sports, I don't know if you went through this too. It, I went for a, through a number of years. Once I stopped playing where I didn't even want anything to do with it, but with football, cause that's what I loved the most. And because when I hurt my knee, I was in a good place. I was with the boy scouts. Insurance was free. They were great to me. My, my executive director was like, Hey, we're still going to pay you go get better. It's going to be awesome. And it was, but the doc's like, I'm like, doc, can I still play? Can I still, you know, get it? he's like, yeah, you can play again, but you'll see me again. I'm like, Ugh, that's not yeah. work. No, that's not a so, lifestyle. Yeah. So anyway, I, like I said, I hope the Packers do well. I hope Jordan Love turns into a great player. Um, as long as, you know, when they face the Cowboys, they don't win like they did last year. <laughs> My wife got me tickets to that game. So we went to that game and it was, it was, it was rough. Um, okay. So how about holidays? What, what what do you got going on? It's December, Christmas right around the corner. We just had, you know, St. Nick showed up at our night at our house last night, apparently when I was sleeping. Um, it's, you know, it's, I'd never heard of this. I grew up in Texas. I never heard of the St. Nick thing until I, you know, moved to, to Wisconsin. What, what's keeping you guys busy this, this Christmas season? Well, as you might guess, with four kids that are adults and having significant others, we have to split up a little bit. So this this year, everybody gets together for Thanksgiving. So traditionally, we've had everybody and we host Thanksgiving. So that's kind of our holiday. Mm -hmm. Our our Christmas holiday will be a little bit quieter. It'll just be my husband, uh, just the two of us for Christmas this year, which is we we're used to that. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, so far. But I think the point is, we're staying very fluid and I'm reminded of this because as you might guess, just in the business I do and the things I measure and the things I look at, I'm very structured, I'm very planned. I like to know what's going on. And when it comes to family and traditions and all these things, I'm really embracing staying fluid through all of these because family can be different as you grow or as you change or as our kids have kids, right? You have to be able to share those holidays or make them different or have different celebratory times of the year or whatever that might be. So this year, to answer your question, it'll be the two of us on Christmas. However, as I mentioned early in the podcast, we'll be getting together for New Year's with a couple of our kids. So New Year's for us this year will be really special once again. And we craft a menu where each one of us is responsible for a course of the menu and we literally print the menu out 
And then this is what you get to do with adult kids. And right. then we do a wine pairing. So we have a wine oh, pairing with each wow. course. So each one of us will cook something. So we'll have, I think this year we'll probably have like six courses, maybe give or take. And we'll put a wine pairing with each course. So we'll have, and we'll do it at home and we'll do it ourselves. And it'll be just delightful. And for me, I'm really looking forward to that. I like to cook and I like to stay at home. And um, it'll be a great way to celebrate the new year together um, for whichever of the children can join us for that for that celebration. A wine pairing with each course. That's a good idea. We've got a wine, like my, my brother-in-law's wife, her name is Heather, love her to death. She loves wine. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of float that idea. Hey, we're all bringing different things and we're assigned different things. Let's let's do let's do a little a wine pairing with each course. That'd you said be cool. fun. All right, yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, hey, I think we're running short on time. I've got yeah. a ton more that I'd love to talk to you about. Maybe we can have you on the show again sometime. I'd like that. I think you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, there's so many things that we didn't even get to talk about, and that's a loss for our audience. But maybe we'll be able to swing back and and learn some more from you uh, sometime soon. That sounds great, Brian. I've really enjoyed talking to you. You make it so easy. You make it so Good. easy to have a wonderful, authentic, great conversation. So I really cool. appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Carlin, thank you so much. Have a great, great Christmas this year. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see you, get to see you sounds soon. Sounds good.